study of Jonah. And what we have found is that Jonah's story is really our story, isn't it? Because we've all at one time or another rejected God. There was a time before we knew God that we rejected him completely. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you've never really come to that point where you've accepted God for who he is. And you've accepted the, the, the story of the gospel for being real and you've actually believed that in your hearts. Or maybe you've just found there's been those seasons in your life when God has said, do this, and we have said, no thank you. Not really an option for me at this point. Thanks, but no thanks. And we've rejected God's, maybe his moral will. Maybe we're getting got involved in some sin issues. Maybe we rejected his ethical will. Maybe we've just wanted something that we've kind of become plain to us that's not really the best thing for us. His specific will in certain relationships, in certain financial endeavors, what have you. There's lots of ways that we run from God and tell him no. There was one Sunday morning when a mother went in to wake up her son and to tell him it was time to get ready for church. In which he replied, no, I'm not going. Why not, she asked. And he said, well, I want to give you two good reasons. One, they don't like me. And two, I don't like them. And his mother replied, well, I'll give you two good reasons why you should go to church. One... You're 59 years old. And two, you're the pastor. We all have those times when we feel we want to say no. We don't want to do what we know God has called us to do. Some running is uh, overt, maybe. Overt. You know, like when you say, well, I was raised in church, and I know all the do's and the don'ts, and I can tell you the Ten Commandments, but I'm just not buying into that right now. Maybe some of you are like that. This morning, uh, in fact, you know that that way of living is not right. You know it's the right, uh, not wrong. You know it's the right way. But I'm just not into that right now. I hope others are because I know that those who live by God's ways and the Ten Commandments are good people to be around. So I hope y'all are doing that. But I can't do that right now. Maybe some of you have have known someone or know someone who's like that right now, running away from God overtly, or maybe it's covert, not really evident to you. But there's a tension in your life. You know anybody like that? Or maybe there's a period of your time where there's just this tension in your life. You just always feel it. You're not really sure where it's coming from. Maybe there's some standard in your life, some, something your conscience is telling you that you've, you've violated. Maybe you're not even sure it's from God. It might be. So maybe you're here this morning wondering about that tension that's in your life. And you know, so many times what we try and do is we try and turn down the volume of our conscience, don't we? Yeah, that's just not feeling right. It's not, uh, let me just turn that down a little bit. Let me drown that out with, with something else. But when it's you and you alone at night, and here's where we're going to start this morning. When it's just you staring up at the ceiling, and you know that something's not right in your life, in your heart you know you can't keep running your life this way. Because there's always chaos, and there's pain, and there's things that come with running away from God. And I, I wonder, how long will people run that way? Some people say, well, I'm going to keep doing this until I get married. And when I get married, I'm going to get my life straightened out, and I'm going to come back to you, Lord, and things are going to be good. But until then, I, you know, I kind of got a plan of something else. Or maybe you say, I'll kind of get my life together and get straight again after spring break, because spring break's coming. I got lots of crazy plans, and I, you know, I got to get through those first. And then when I'm done with that, I'll get my life straightened back up with you. So what we've done is we've actually scheduled our surrender to God. Let's look at Jonah this morning. 
Let's look at how he ran and what happened to him and what I'm calling the, the call of distress, the SOS prayer of Jonah. Let's remember who Jonah was, right? He was a prophet of God, sent around 750 B.C. Normally, prophets are sent to the kings and the people of Israel. And so there's a context where the kings and the people of Israel, when they heard the prophet, they may not like what the prophet says, but they know he's from God. They know they got to listen. There's some expectation there that when the prophet speaks, people listen. Jonah, however, is told not to go to the people of Israel, but instead he's told to go to the people of Assyria, to the town of Nineveh. Not only were they pagan, but they were the enemies, the arch enemies of Israel at that time. God said go, Jonah said no. If you look at the map here, you can kind of get the idea that he was in Jerusalem, and he goes down a few miles down to Joppa. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, a few hundred miles to the north. But he doesn't, and he jumps on a ship going to Tarshish, which is really the end of the world as they knew it at that time. So Jonah heard God's call, heard it very clearly. God said, I want you to go to the Ninevites. I want you to give them a message of repentance or destruction is going to come. Jonah says, skip the message, go to the destruction. Right? That's what he wants. But he says, no, God, I believe in you. I love your word. But you know what? I'm not going to do that. And so he buys a ticket on a ship to the end of the known world. Could not go any farther. And we talked last week about how people who are running from God seem to make the strangest decisions, seem to do the craziest things. So here Jonah does the craziest thing imaginable, runs as far as you can go on, a, on, on the trade routes of those days. Uh, you know, ocean traffic is never really uh, foolproof or completely safe, even today. But in those days, that was one of the more dangerous ways that you could travel in the world. So he chooses that as his way to run away from God. And we said also last week, one of the common characteristics of a runner is that you can run from God, but like we've been seeing this morning, you can't outrun God. And eventually, eventually, there is a day of reckoning. So let's open our Bibles to Jonah, chapter 2. And let's look at the day of reckoning for Jonah. If you don't have your Bibles, there's one in front of you. I don't know what page it's on. Greg, help me out there. My page keeper. Six fifty-seven. There you go. Jonah, chapter ten. You start writing it down ahead of time, don't I? Help you guys out. So that's what's happened to to Jonah. And so we're going to hear that you know the Jonah was swallowed by this great fish. That's the end of, of chapter one. And then, as we started last week, we said in chapter 2, verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and we're all saying, I bet he did. And then we're going to read this poem today. It's essentially what it is, Hebrew poetry. It's a, it's a prose, if you will. It's a love song that Jonah writes probably later on, probably not writing it in the fish as it's happening. He goes out later on, he writes down this description of his experience of running in his spirit and coming back to God. All the things that we've been singing about this morning, Jonah writes about. And so it's applicable not only to Jonah, but it's applicable to us as well and those times that we're running or those people that we know that may be running from God and his will for their life. Two things that we're going to see in this uh, prayer this morning. The first one is that God is generous in his grace. And we need to stop and just understand what grace means real quick. 
We talk about the grace of God. Grace means, of course, the technical definition of is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. Because we all understand justice, right? When we say when someone's getting justice, they're getting what they deserve. Typically, it's in a punishment. Typically, it's in a negative viewpoint. So when we say someone's getting justice, we all understand what that means. The opposite of justice is mercy, not getting what you deserve. And we all get that. We all, our, our whole human uh, legal system has been and always will be based on this idea of justice and mercy. But then we have this picture of grace. And from God's perspective, grace then is getting something that you didn't deserve Something good, even, that you didn't deserve, no matter what you did, good or bad. So God's grace is is going to be hard for us to kind of imagine uh, in this story, but it's the true picture of who God is and and what he does. So we see in in Jonah, he's in the fish, right? He's been swallowed up. And he says, uh, and he said in verse 2, look at this. I called out of my distress to the Lord. The the, the same words that I would submit to you, every person who's ever run or who will ever run from God at one time is going to say, I called out of my distress to the Lord. Stop there for a moment. What drives a person back to God? Many of you have been in those periods of your life when you've been running, you're, you're out of control, you know, there's something going on in your life that you're just kind of feeding that little, whatever that sinful pleasure, or maybe that just lifestyle, or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's not sinful, it's just something that you know is not really what God wants you to be doing, you're doing something else instead, and you're just feeding that. What drives us from that position to a position of repentance with knees bowed, saying, Lord, whatever you want. What, what gets us there? Is it good times and joy and, and lovey-dovey stuff? No. It's distress so many times, isn't it? It's despair. And when we get distressed and when we get despair, that's when we send out the SOS. That's when we send out the white flag. This white flag is a symbol of this series, of the surrender that Jonah had to God in his life. And that's when we typically will send out the distress calls. You know, when, when, when you've cheated and you've got caught. When you're in the back of the police car wondering, how did I get here and how am I going to explain this? When you have to get ready to pick up the phone to call someone to let them know the truth of what happened before they hear it from someone else. That's when we start praying this prayer. Oh, God, please help me now. The white flag prayer. I give up, Lord. Please come and help me. And we've all been there. We all will be there at some point in our lives. No matter how good we are, no matter how cool we are, no matter how slick we are, no matter how smart and confident we think we are, there comes a time when you get busted. All those who have ever gotten busted say amen. Amen. There you go. If you haven't, you will. And then you can join the rest of us. There's a time when we get caught, when things don't work out, and we send up the white flag and we cry out to God and we beg him for his grace in this matter. You know, you don't have to go very far in Scripture where you see it all the time. 
I'm thinking of, of David, one of the greatest men of the Bible. A man, after, the only man, by the way, that the scriptures describe as a man after God's own heart. Great man. The, the king who, who, uh, who began life killing the giant. Great and mighty things did David do. Became the king after many years of persecution. He wrote the Psalms. He was an incredible man. And then at one point in his life, he moves out of God's will and he sins and he does something horrible with Bathsheba, kills her husband to have her. And you know the story of that, right? And someone came to him and said, you know, you need to repent. And, and he writes those great Psalms, uh, 32 and 51, when he talks about his bones wasting away because he knew it was wrong, but it was until he was confronted when he had his big fish moment, if you will. And he was confronted with his running from God. And his psalms cry out, I, you cried out, I cried out to you, and you, you answered me. You see, David and Bathsheba both deserve death for their sin. We deserve death for our sin. Jonah deserved death for his sin. But we're talking about how God is so generous in his grace. Look at this now. So I called out of my distress to the Lord, and then underline these words, highlight these words, and he answered me when he didn't have to, and he shouldn't have to, but he did. He answered me. And this is the truly amazing thing about God's grace, that for those who cry out to God, he listens, and he hears, and he answers. You know, many folks are going to come to you in your walk with God and they're going to come to you with problems in their life. They come to me and Nancy with problems in their life. And, you know, kids going bad or, or a husband's going bad or wives going bad or parents going bad or somebody's going bad. There's somebody who is running from God. And have you ever stopped to think that our prayer, instead of, you know, comfort and joy and God's leading them, that God would bring pain and distress and misery upon them? Have we ever thought that? Hmm. Because that's the way God brings us to the white flag of surrender, to the SOS. Have we ever prayed for someone to experience pain in the midst of their trouble, to experience misery, that they would be challenged by God in their circumstances? If not, consider that. Because God listens. Get this now. God listens to the desperate cries of desperate people in desperate situations that they made their own way in. I'll say that again. That was powerful. God listens to desperate cries of desperate people in desperate situations of their own making, that their own choices put them in. That is grace. The problem, as I see, is that we, we, we tend to wait so long before we cry out. Because we're generally thinking, God really won't take me back after I've done this. We really think that we've done something so bad that God would never forgive us for that, or I, God's never going to understand that. And what we do when we do that is we, is we cheapen and discredit the grace of God. Because the, the death and the resurrection of his son that paid for our sins is so much greater than our shame. It's so much greater than our choices. The human capacity to understand grace is really stretched when it comes to God and the way he dispenses his justice and his mercy. So Jonah learned that God is generous 
with his grace. And that's what the prayer of Jonah really teaches us this morning. That no matter how far we stray, no matter how far we run, no matter how far we separate ourselves from God, there's a reminder for every one of us in here, every minute of every hour of every day, that we are always welcome back to our Father in heaven. Always welcome back, without explanation, with simple confession and turning back to him, and we are welcome. So the second thing, not only is God generous with his grace, but he's also, get this now, thorough in his discipline. And, 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 you know, everybody's for grace, right? If I took a poll in here and said, how many of you prefer discipline over grace? Probably not many of you would check that box. We love grace. Woohoo! Give me grace. Discipline, not so much. Jonah is starting to get a little clarity here in his situation. Look at verse 3. Verse 2, we'll finish that. Uh, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. He's repeating himself there. For you, some of you, uh, I think your Bible will say, but you. For you, God, had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. He knows God is behind his misfortune. For you, God, did this to me. Now remember the story, right? He's on the boat. He's trying to get away. He's sleeping down below decks and the storm comes up and the storm came from God. Thank you. Smart girl you have. Not only does she play the violin so well, she's a smart Bible student. Awesome. <laughs> she plays soccer too. All right, right on. All American. So God sent the storm to wake Jonah up and to get his attention. Remember, all the sailors are up there having a big prayer meeting. They're praying to every god they can think of because they know it's an unnatural storm. They know it's not just a low-pressure system moving through the area. And so they get Jonah up, and Jonah sees what's going on. He goes, okay, yeah, God, he's ticked at me. It's my fault. Throw me in. Just in my life right now. I almost wonder if he was nonchalantly saying that. Like, well, they, they, they wouldn't really do that, would they? And they did. You know, I wonder, when in this experience, now we have Jonah, he's praying in the fish, right? When in this experience do you think Jonah actually repented? You think it's, you know, he's in the fish for three days. You think it's like on the afternoon of day two, he finally gets it? <laughs> you know, maybe the morning of day three, he's thinking, well, maybe I ought to repent. No, I think that as they are getting ready to toss him overboard, right? One, two. Now, now is it on three? Okay, one. And as he's going into the air, he's probably thinking, Lord, I repent. I didn't really mean that. I repent. I'll go to Nineveh. I'll go to Narnia. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Just don't, don't really put me in the water. So, you know, I think that as he was going into the water, he was repenting. And, and here's the thing. You know, discipline, uh, God is generous in his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. And all of us were disciplined, I think, uh, the older ones of us anyway, were disciplined by our, our fathers, by our, our parents. You know, I have memories. I have memories of being spanked as a child, and I'm, I'm okay. I don't need counseling. Don't send any emails. It's okay. But you know the hardest part for me of, of getting spanked was is when my dad said, you, you go get the switch. 
You know, <laughs> that's cruel and unusual when you've got to go get your own switch and your own belt to get spanked with. But, you know, my dad spanked me, as all dads do, he spanked me out of love. And see, my dad figured out what we all eventually know. What God's trying to show Jonah here is that eventually rebellion leads to pain. All right, let's put those things together there. Rebellion leads to pain. It's true if you're a child growing up in your father's house. It's true if if you're a child of God growing up in your father's world, in your father's kingdom. And here's the thing, and and maybe I I hope this was, was good for all you guys too, that you were chronic spankers. But, you know, after the first couple of times, uh, you know, that lesson changed me. And it got to the point where, you know, when I did something wrong and dad said, okay, go get the belt. I'm like, I'm a changed man. I don't need that now. I'm good. <laughs> right? I, I don't really need the belt on my butt. I'm okay. I get it. <laughs> but guess what my dad did when I said, I'm sorry, I repent, dad. I didn't really mean to hit my sister like that. I didn't really mean it. You know what dad did anyway? Got out the belt anyway. Why would he do that? Because he was mean and cruel and wanted to hear the sound of that belt on my butt? No, because he knew that rebellion leads to pain and the discipline must be thorough so that I would not rebel again, at least in that context and for that issue in my life. My dad disciplined me because he loved me. God disciplines those whom he loves as well. And discipline is just as much as part of God's love as his grace. Parents, you know this to be true. Moms, you you know it to be true. You know, one of the most fearful sayings my mom ever gave me was, just wait until your father gets home, right? We creaked at that because we knew what was happening when dad got home. Now, here's the deal. God does not discipline because he's out for revenge. God is not trying to pay you back for your sin. You must get this. God is not trying to get you back or pay you back. Discipline is God's way of winning us back, of bringing us back to him. We need God's discipline in our lives. We rarely pray for that. But that's exactly what we need. If you have, put your finger here real quick and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Just to kind of reiterate a New Testament point about discipline. When you, when you, verse 7, chapter 12, verse 7. When you got it, say you got it. Got it, okay. Let's read this together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7 through 11 says this. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Get this. If God's not disciplining you, you are not his child. So in that context, who wants discipline in their life from God? Everybody should, because that proves that I'm a child of his. Furthermore, We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. Wow. 
Boy, that puts a spin on discipline, doesn't it? You can share God's holiness through his discipline of your life. And of course, we know that in verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. Boy, that's a pretty way of saying it, isn't it? Yeah, it hurts. It is not fun. It's something that we dread. But he says, yet to those who have been trained by it, if your life's been changed by it, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, you stop doing those things and you start trusting God. And if we're all honest, and I think we're all honest people here, but if we're all, all honest, we would look back at our lives and we realize that the most important lessons that we've learned in life came from times of pain and hardship. Would that be your witness this morning? The most life-transforming moments occurred for me when I was the most distressed and I was the most despaired that I could be. And it wasn't a Christian cliche or even a Bible verse that got me thinking the right way. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Those things help to reinforce what's going on in your life. But it was painful times. It was difficult times. And it was knowing that when I walked through it and I got to the other side, there was God who had been with me the whole time. That changed my heart. And I was awakened to the truth and reminded of God's loving kindness and his grace and his mercy. And everybody has a part of their story that's the same. So how we learn from discipline, right? We don't necessarily learn when we we see the light. We like to tell dad that we've learned when we saw the light. Don't spake me again. I've learned my lesson. But we learn when we feel the heat, don't we? Not when we see the light, when we feel the heat. God knows that. He knows that the pain is greater than the pleasure of our decisions. All right, back to Jonah. So get back to Jonah, chapter 2. He's a changed person at this point. The discipline of God has changed him. The love of God has changed him. Yet get this, he may have repented, I don't know for sure, but I'm just, what if he had repented on his way into the water? What if he's sinking, he's repenting? Okay, God, I confess, I repent. You were right, I shouldn't have. Thank you for, can you get me out of here now? And then all of a sudden, the fish swallows him. And not only does the fish swallow him for, you know, a couple of hours, three long days. He rattled around in that fish's belly for three days. So that the pain of rebellion would make sure that he would not run again. How many times have you said this to your kids just before you disciplined them? I'm doing this because I love you. The kids are like, Yeah, I don't buy that. But they will someday. They will buy that someday when it's their turn to discipline. The sad fact of running and the sad fact of runners is that all too often, having had the experience, having had the whales, having had the distress, the pain, and the fear, they miss the meaning of their experience because they want to blame it on someone else or something else. That happened. Don't miss the meaning of the Jonah experience. Don't miss the meaning of the discipline in your life. You know, that, those, those cable shows that say, you know, don't get stressed out because your cable went out. You know, don't get away and go someplace exotic and get bit on the face and your face blows up. And Don't be that fisherman called Big Fatty Face, right? I love that commercial. Don't miss the meaning of what God is showing you plainly in Scripture. Don't miss the meaning of God's loving yet thorough discipline in your life. God is generous with his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. So back to Jonah, verse 5. 
He's in the fish. Water encompassed me to the point of death. He thinks he's going to die. He, those of you who have been in the ocean, have been in the water for any period of time, you know that feeling when you're running out of air? Yeah. What do you feel like you're going to just die? I mean, it's just horrible. It's a horrible feeling to feel you're running out of air. When that wave takes you down and you're in the washing machine down there and you can't get out because it's not done yet. Yeah, that's a scary feeling. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Boy, that's a visual, right? Weeds wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Right? The fish is taking him deep, deep in the ocean. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. While I was fainting away, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Horrible experience for three days. He probably learned his lesson before he hit the water. Maybe. I'm just speculating. But he learned that God is generous with his grace and thorough in his discipline. You know, the nation of Israel, when they didn't believe the spies who came back from spying out the land when Moses was getting ready to take them in, they didn't believe, and they spent 40 years because of that wandering around the desert until they all died, that generation. nation of Israel was sent into captivity for 70 years because of their uh, lack of following God, following uh, the, uh, the, the things that God had told them to do, of trusting him, of worshiping him, and following idols instead. Now, do you think when the nation of Israel was devastated and, and their temple was destroyed and their city was, cities were, were completely uh, decimated, do you think after about... You know, how long did it take captivity in Babylon before they figured out that they were, you know, wrong? You know, maybe year one. Maybe by year two or three, they've really got it figured out. Okay, Lord, no more idols. We get it. We get it. We're done with the idols now, finally. Okay, we get it. Seventy years he left them there. Because he's generous with his grace, but he is thorough in his discipline. And we must feel the pain of the rebellion. Then he gets to the best part of the prayer, verse 8. This is, this is the best part. This is like the crux of the whole thing. Right? So if, if you've been kind of counting the lights here this morning, you know, trying to stay awake or something, uh, now's the time to pay attention. All right? If you've been doodling, you know, what are you going to have for lunch today? or what? Put that stuff down and pay attention because this is it. This is the point of the prayer that Jonah wants and God wants us to hear. Those who regard, verse 8, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. What in the world does that mean? What he says is this. Those who go after vain idols, something other than God, forsake their faithfulness, their relationship with God. They are forsaking it. They are replacing it with something else. They are forfeiting the grace of God. And what they find out is that that what they have pursued is not worth what they gave up. And what we find out is that what we have pursued is not worth what we gave up. Because in the end, all that scheming and all that manipulating and all that covering up, and after all that, we realize that what we have pursued is not worth what we gave up. So what do we give up? What we gave up and what we forfeited and what we let go of, we miss the opportunity of experiencing the only real thing that matters in this world, and that's a loving relationship with God. And we gave it up. And we forfeited it because we wanted something else. And the truth is that God's grace and his love and his mercy is greater and better than anything else. 
we could possibly run to. So I ask you this morning, is anything greater in your life than God's love and grace right now? Are you pursuing anything besides that? Is, is God taking second place to something this, this morning? And I can say with confidence that, that I know eventually you'll find that there is nothing greater than God's love and grace in your life. There will be nothing greater than that in your life. And I can say that with total confidence. You know why? Because when we get to those moments of distress and despair, and when we cry out, we do not cry out to the situation that we were pursuing. We do not cry out to the successes that we gave our lives to. We don't cry out to the relationships that we could not do without. We do not cry out to the achievements that we surrendered everything for, to the opportunities that we strive so hard for. We do not cry out to those things, but we do cry out to God. When we are at the end of ourselves. You see, here's the, here's the summary thought here in verse 8. We don't realize that God is all we need until we know that God is all we have. It's profound, isn't it? I didn't, I didn't make that up. A friend of mine, Mike Ayers, made that up. He says, we don't realize that God is all we need until we know that God is all we have. And God will do anything to get you to the point in your life when you know that God is all you have. And then you'll know that he's all that you need. Is when we realize that God is the most valuable relationship we have in our life. And then we'll have total clarity, total understanding of this situation in our life. Because as our loving Father in heaven, he disciplines us for our own good, right? He will strip away everything in our life that doesn't point you back to him. Everything that we would replace, the idols, the worthless idols, the vain idols, Jonah calls them, that we have substituted for him, he will make sure we replace those with him, that he gets back into the place of our life, the throne of our life that he needs to be. And when we realize what we have forfeited, then like Jonah, we will have total clarity about what's going on. So let's finish the chapter, verse 9. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. He realizes what he gave up what he ran away from. He realizes the grace and the love of God that he forsook for some vain idol of not having to go and and, and do the the thing at Nineveh that he was asked to do. And then verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish. Another one of those then the Lord moments, right? Because God's in total control of this situation. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. The fish burped, out comes Jonah. Kind of a graphic ending to the whole thing, isn't it? Then in verse, chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And what do you think he did? He arose and he went to Nineveh. Why? Because he had learned his lesson. And he obeyed. He heard God. Because God is generous with his grace, and he is thorough in his discipline, and his goal is not to pay you back for your rebellion. He is not a taskmaster waiting for you to mess up so he can pull out his divine belt and spank you. If you've got that picture of God this morning, you've got to get rid of that and replace it with a loving God who is disciplining you for your own good and for his glory because he loves you. And his goal is not to pay you back, but his goal is always, always to win you back. And to bring you back. And so the story of Jonah, as we conclude this morning, is more than just the miracle of the big fish. 
It reminds us that there is an invitation from God, moment by moment, second by second, if need be, that God's grace is always available and we don't have to continue running. And it's a notice this morning in the story of Jonah, the prayer of Jonah. If you get nothing out of this, remember that God's worth, what he offers is far more than anything we think can replace him. Have you learned that this morning? Some of you are probably running right now. Some of you may be just checking into church. You've got to do your church thing. I'm moving on. I'll be gone this afternoon doing something else. Maybe some of you are considering to start running right now. You're contemplating that thing that you know is going to take you in another direction, but it's so powerful and it's so attractive and the temptation is so real that you're contemplating running from God this morning. Or maybe you know someone who is running. We all know someone at some point in our life who has forsaken God and his faithfulness and running to do something that you know is harmful to them. Maybe some of you are deep into the Jonah run, and life is so chaotic right now, and it's so hard, and things just seem out of control, but you can't seem to grasp why. You can't seem to grasp the situation. And maybe you know someone like that. So the lesson this morning is that God's grace is generous, but his discipline is thorough. And if God has brought you here today, then his message for you is very simple. Stop running and return back to him. I'm going to ask Ricky and, uh, and the folks to come up and, and play for us. We're going, to, we're going to spend just a moment as they're getting ready. I want to just have everyone kind of bow their heads right now. Just let's spend a few moments. I mean, this, this time, God's word is so powerful and his spirit is so powerful that at a time like this, we need to stop. And we need to really check our hearts this morning. And we need to really see if there's something that we need to give back to God because we've been kind of running away from him in this part of our life. And if you're searching really hard right now and you're thinking, okay, God, maybe, maybe this is what I've been running away from you, trying to replace you with my job, replace you with my hobby, replace you with something, some relationship or something that I know is not really good for me, but I, I really am attracted to it anyway. And if you're there this morning, then I ask you to stop and have God speak to your heart like he did with Jonah. Maybe some of you are in the big fish right now. <laughs> Maybe the big fish is coming. But God's generous with his grace. But he is thorough with his discipline. So I want to spend just a few seconds right now in silence with you guys, just thinking about this, reflecting. Respond to God as he's speaking to your heart right now.